If you're a fan of this show and you'd like a chance to steer the ship, that opportunity is available to you. We're already planning our season two of Grimdark History. And if you'd like to have a say in what we tackle on season two, you can do that by heading over to our channel on youtube.com at grimdarkhistory slash community. You'll find a post there with an active poll asking what your thoughts are and what the second season of Grimdark History should be. So head on over and have a vote. Thank you very much and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I just wanted to uh, let you know we're going to be releasing two special bonus episodes. The first one is happening right now. And the reason for the bonus episodes is we, we've hit a milestone that I, I didn't think I, I would reach. I'm, I'm happy I did. And, and if I was going to reach it, I certainly didn't think we would reach it as fast as I did. Uh, but we, we've hit over 1,000 downloads of the Grimdark History podcast. And that's certainly not possible without all the people that are interested in what I have to say, interested in exploring the fiction uh, of, you know, popular fiction and history and how those things work together. But I'm glad that you do enjoy it. And in celebration of your support of the podcast, uh, we're going to be doing two special bonus episodes. And uh, I, I just wanted to call out, you know, as I'm doing the podcast, you get statistics a little bit on the types of, uh, or at least where people are in the world that are downloading your, your episodes. And uh, I just wanted to call out that there are two people in New Zealand, um, which is about as far away as geographically possible uh, from where I am in Halifax, Canada. And uh, those two people in New Zealand have downloaded and listened to every single episode of my podcast. So whoever you are, I want to say thank you. You've been with the podcast right from the beginning. And uh, feel free to uh, say hello on uh, Twitter or send me an email at uh, grimdarkhistory at gmail.com sometime. I'd like to hear your thoughts, and if you have suggestions for future episodes, let me know. Um, but as it is right now, we've got two bonus episodes coming, and we're going to release them a week apart from each other. So it's out of the normal release cycle of once per month. That's still going to happen. Uh, but for the month of October, we've got two, uh, two extra episodes that are going to drop, and the first one is right now so i hope you enjoy it and uh, we're going to have some fun with these next two episodes thank you very much Hello everybody and welcome to a special episode of the Grimdark History Podcast. I'm your host Jeremy Agnew and I just wanted to say thanks to everybody for all your support as we've got this podcast off the ground. Today is going to be a special bonus episode so I thought what I would do for the bonus episode since our first season here is really talking about the Warhammer 40,000 lore and how it connects to history and the people and places of history. Um, I thought it would be fun to reach out to um, all the fans of the Warhammer 40,000 lore and we're going to do a top 10 episode of who are the people in history that the fans voted that the Emperor could have been. So for this, it's a special episode, and for a special episode, I need a special co-host. So I reached out to all my, my massive Rolodeck of people that I know, and I do have a special co-host. I have Laura Whiteland, who's the co-creator and co-host of the Chaos Divided podcast. Thanks so much, Laura, for joining us. 
Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. And uh, and, and I hope that I was at the bottom of the Rolodex, because I know uh, you have some pretty famous uh, you know, people in the back of your pocket. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad I could fill in for all of them. Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I got a, I got a, a surprise coming up in the new year, uh, so uh, I, I, hope it, I hope it works out. But if it does, it'll be pretty awesome. Um, but you were one of the, one of the. I love your show, and your show does talk about the lore of Warhammer Forty Thousand very often. And you're a big fan of the lore, and as we've been chatting, I've been finding out you're actually also a big fan of history too. A little bit, yeah. I'm a, I'm a little self-read. Um, so yeah, I, uh, the lore for for Forty K is interesting. I actually um, recently did like a big. Uh, read through of Dune, which has kind of uh, cemented that a little further. Uh, 40K is very much based out of uh, Frank Herbert's works. Um, so I've find, been finding myself getting in deeper, but uh, kind of the big way that I stayed connected with Warhammer for, for years was reading the Heresy novels. So yeah. the, the lore has always been very close to my heart. Yeah, me too. I, uh, especially over COVID, I. I uh, dove headfirst into the, the lore. I read through uh, a pile of the Horus Heresy books. And uh, while I've been waiting for the next one to come out, I've just been chewing through a bunch of different other ones too. So I, I love the Warhammer 40,000 lore. I'm glad you do too. I really dig your podcast. Alrighty. So uh, just to, before we dive into what we're doing, uh, just to talk a little bit about how I even got to this list that we have today. So uh, what I did was I, I reached out to the 40k lore subreddit uh, some time ago and I, I just asked the question to the people who love to talk about the lore on that reddit uh, without even them knowing what it was about. So I just asked who was their favorite person from history that they felt the Emperor of Mankind could have been. And we got a lot of responses. It was great. We had over 350 responses to that question, which was nice. Um, some of them were, you know, your typical internet silly stuff. Uh, Donald Trump and Elon Musk were were uh, fans' snarky favorite com comments. Uh, I could see Donald Trump. That's a, that's a cult of personality right there. Yeah, but he's so incompetent. <laughs> I mean, is the emperor always super confident? Oh, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, that's just a step down from Alexander the Great, though, isn't it? Like, I, uh, you know what, though? I, I always think of, uh, when you look at, like, historical examples of the emperor, it's more the emperor, like, trying things out and trying to nudge. Yeah. Um, rather than, like, necessarily, like, taking the active role you see in 30K. Mm -hmm. Um, I see kind of the historical references more as trying to push in a direction or experimenting with his own powers and his own abilities. Okay, yeah, I like that. Um, I disagree that it's Trump, though, but... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Alrighty, but anyways, we, we got a lot of good responses, 350-plus responses. Um, some of them uh, people picked... Um, People who were actually the emperor, we know he was in the lore. Um, you know, Alexander the Great came up quite a bit, but of course we know he was Alexander the Great. Um, Saint George was also uh, one that popped up quite a bit, but we know the emperor was Saint George. And uh, tune in for a future podcast episode as we talk about the life of Saint George, the real historical figure. So, uh, what we did was kind of take through all of those and of the ones that we know the emperor wasn't so maybe he could have been this it's just not in the lore um, i picked what i thought was kind of the the most interesting uh, of that group and then i put it together in a little uh, online voting platform and then i, I reached out to um, subreddits uh, as well as some of the discord servers i'm on with with you and and everybody else and just ask people to vote for who their, their favorite person was and we've got a top 10 list as voted by everybody who is the fan of the lore so I'm excited to go through this list how about you uh you know what there's definitely some in here that I'm like really uh chomping at the bit to get into all right and there's some of them that are almost like 
there are almost two possible. So we'll uh, we'll get into it. Sure. Yeah, and a couple of them are a little out of left field, which I thought was interesting too. Hmm. All right. Well, let's start with um, our our last place people. So these people are are tied in eighth, ninth, and tenth place, and uh, first on our list, but certainly not last, but among the last is Irene of Athens. So Irene of Athens, uh, she lived from 750 to 803 Common Era. She ruled as regent and then empress of the Eastern Roman Empire for 22 years. So for everybody who's maybe not necessarily familiar with the Eastern Roman Empire, you probably know Byzantium. Um, and that is what we're talking about when we're talking about the Eastern Roman Empire. Um, one of her famous claims to fame, she, she had her own son's eyes gouged out in order to uh, uh, put down his attempt to uh, take over the throne. Uh, and uh, so blinding people in Byzantium was one way to prevent them from ruling. If you're maimed, you could not become emperor. Uh, she also called the Second Council of Nicaea. Uh, that reestablished the worship of icons, i.e. the cross, uh, which had been banned as heretical uh, for about 20 years prior to that. Um, she was fantastically ruthless. She, I mean, she blinded her blinded her own son. Um, she forced other legitimate heirs to the throne into the priesthood, which also disqualified them from ruling. Um, I don't know why she didn't force her own son into that, but she, she wanted to blind him. Um, she also, uh, you know, when the Council of Nicaea was going to vote to allow the worship of icons, uh, it actually had been broken up by a pro-iconoclast uh, military. So she actually uh, created a fake war uh, against the Muslims and she got this group of everybody who was in the military and against the ruling. Um, she tricked them to believe that there was a war happening. She got them all outside the city, had them all surrounded by her, uh, her army had them disarmed and then disbanded and then she called the second meeting of that council of Nikea in order to uh, get that uh, ruling put through which I thought was pretty cool that's something right out of um, uh, the Godfather um, and then she also had a political she was trying to make political ties with Charlemagne uh, but the Pope that's the one in Rome she he crowned Charlemagne Holy Roman Emperor in order to delegitimize her rule. Um, so that's the the nutshell of Irene of Athens. What do you think about that one? I mean, there's definitely some very uh, Warhammer 40k uh, inspiration to be found in here. Even the uh, you know councils of uh, Nikea maybe making any uh, fans of Magnus a little nervous. Sure, that's a little on the nose, isn't it? Right. <laughs> So that's a that's a pretty uh, evident connection right there. Um, but yeah, the the use of religion and power feels very emperor to me. Yeah, yeah, I like that, and um, you know, very uh, ruthless, and also um, like you said, the use of power, being able, you know, taking um, you know an entire part of the army and then having them you know, sur surrounded, dismantled, and disbanded. Um, you know, that's 3D-level chess that she's playing. Yeah, well, and you mentioned, you know, why didn't she just force her own son into the, the priesthood? I think that would have been maybe seen as an illegitimate uh, seizure of power because um, they would have been the, you know, presumed emperor. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, even the use of violence and then the use of sort of power and, and influence uh, simultaneously, I think is, is very emblematic of, of kind of what you see unfold, like um, in the early days of like the emperor. Yeah. So I, I think there's definitely a, a lot there that kind of ties in. So I actually think it's a really great um, example uh, and it, it, it's almost a shame that uh, it was voted down so low because I think it's a, it's actually probably a really strong example. 
I know. I I like uh, the the use of politics, the use of force, and uh, religion to get her own way. And uh, she she ruled uh, one of the largest empires in the world for uh, quite a bit of time, actually. It was literally a Roman empress. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like, yeah. Um, no, and you know what? I, I sometimes think people kind of discount women as representing the emperor, but the emperor doesn't really have gender in that concept. The, the emperor appears as, like, they want to be perceived, not necessarily, like, they don't have a base form, if that makes any sense. You're, you're absolutely right. And uh, I'm going to grab a quote here. I should have had it ready uh, that actually proves that. Hold on one second. Yeah, even some of the the stories where, like, you know, everyone who interacts with the Emperor sees someone different. Um, And, you know, even, like, the shifting face is often referenced, but... You're absolutely right, and uh, I'm going to find that quote, but we're going to move... I don't have it handy, but I am going to find it. While I'm digging that up, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, who's next on our list? All right, so this is one I'm maybe a little bit less familiar with, but we've got King Pyrrhus of Epirus. That's right, yeah. I'm going to hope I get all of these right. Um, Fought in no less than seven major battles against Rome, Sparta, Argos, and Phrygia. Uh, Widely regarded as one of the greatest Greek generals in all of antiquity, second only to Alexander the Great, which I mean, you know, everyone's second at some point to Alexander the Great. (laughs) Um, This is according to Plutarch, the Roman historian. And the Carthaginian Terror of Rome, uh, Hannibal Barca. I like that uh, title you gave Hannibal yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would have gone with Elephant Riding Madman, but um, <laughs> anyways. Uh, claim to fame in the modern era of phrase Pyrrhic Victory, coined after he simultaneously defeated three separate Roman armies in battle and was quoted as saying, if we are victorious in one more battle with the Romans, we shall be utterly ruined. Also famously had a magic toe that was all that was left of him after he died and was cremated. The toe immune to fire. The toe was immune to fire and could cure disease. Yeah, how that, that sounds pretty magic right yeah. there. That magical toe cures disease. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... Um, this one actually feels like a little weaker of a connection. Just uh, the emperor doesn't tend to lose you're, you're, all that often. Yeah, you're right. And and I'll, I'll say this. Um, he he didn't technically lose. He did win. It's, it's the Pyrrhic victory. He just didn't have enough left in order to, you know, seal the deal, if you want to say that. You know what though? I uh, looking at you know I'm I'm an emperor's uh, children fan, um, and the emperor is completely fine, absolutely wasting military resources into the ground, in, literally into dust. So I don't think the emperor believes in the concept of a pure victory. So this sounds like someone who's maybe a little bit too concerned with like the human cost of things, which is very not emperor. That's true, and, and you know an early form of you know, what will become the Astra Militarum, you know, the, the endless tide of people you can throw at somebody. You know, if, uh, if you can make your enemy run out of bullets, then eventually you'll win. Mm-hmm. Um, and realistically, yeah, somebody who's somewhat self-aware of this, um, I mean, you know, technically the Emperor can grow and change, but I, but he doesn't tend to. He doesn't tend to, like, evolve as a character. You know, he's pretty, like, single-minded in a lot of things. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, what we see, and we don't see the Emperor too much in the actual lore. He's, you know, this ethereal figure in the background. Probably the most most Emperor we've seen so far has been um, really the the, um, end in the death part one and part two, obviously, but we haven't got that yet, and... Master of Mankind, which I think is probably the most content we've seen of the Emperor saying or doing anything. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, from a like a literary perspective, the Emperor should generally talk less, because um, talking about Dune, um, you know, Leto II, which the Emperor is based off of, uh, talks way too much, and it kind of takes the mystique away. So I kind of like that they've kept him as a, a background character. I like it too. I like that he's in the background. I like that... Uh, you know, a, a lot of people, and this is a contentious opinion. That's fine. I'm, you're 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 uh, you're here to give give voice an alternate opinion if you want. But my opinion is, anytime the emperor's written in the actual lore as saying anything, I think the authors were deliberately conscious to write it as though you could take it either way. Yeah, and that kind of feeds into. Um... They've, uh, with the heresy, I think they've taken somewhat, and I think this is a bit of a, an appropriate approach, because there is, like, some contradictions and, like, back and forth in the heresy, um, and even from the early days, 40k was written with an unreliable narrator, mm -hmm. and I think the heresy, like, you're telling the story of this, like, very specific, um, very, like, condensed period of time in something as big as Warhammer 40k. Um, but they've really given it a lot of room to, like, breathe and also, you know, mean different things in almost a way of, like, creating its own um, inaccuracy. Yeah. So, and again, coming back to, to this guy, that really doesn't... This guy seems a little, you know, does not seem like the most political operator either. He seems like a little more blunt force. Yeah. It's more um, emperor, you know, isn't it? Julius Caesar, he is not. No. Now, um, while I had been doing research on my last episode, which was um, Theseus and the Minotaur, we talked a little bit about Alanius uh, Pius, or Alanius Person, who's another perpetual alive at this time. And um, there's a fan theory out there, and I like the theory, I talked about it in the episode, um, where Olanius Person, we know in the lore he's a member of the crew of Jason and the Argonauts, who's alive at, at this time. And one of the theories out there is that there is a member of the Argonauts, uh, a man by the name of Athalides, who's a son of a god and a, and a princess, uh, but he has an immortal soul in the Jason the Argonauts. So he, every time he dies, he comes back to life and he remembers everything about his previous life. And one of the things that uh, Athalides is in the lore is he becomes many different people. Um, but one of the people he does become, according to the lore of Jason and the Argonauts, is King Pyrrhus. So uh, what do you think about that one? So, 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 Olanius is King Pyrrhus? Is that yeah, so it, if Olanius was in the crew of Jason and the Argonauts, and, and we know yeah. we know he was in the crew of Jason and the Argonauts because he actually we actually see his memories in the in the lore, but we don't know who he was. And of course, there are a lot of different people on the crew of the Argonauts, mm. but we do know one of the people in the crew of the Argonauts was this guy named Athalides who every time he died reincarnated and had memories of his previous life kind of sounds like a perpetual doesn't it absolutely um yeah I, I can see a different perpetual being king pyrus i mean you know having someone who is anyone who's kind of got that exemplary quality and the ability to sort of foresee mistakes um i mean if you look at the ancient world people didn't tend to have broad perspectives that was something that was usually quite difficult because travel was difficult yeah. uh, you have such minute mind like micro cultures that you know you could travel 50 kilometers and deal with a bunch of different cultures that were very similar um especially within the greek world where they had their whole colonialism thing going oh, on oh yeah, yeah um so you know having lifetimes of experience um would definitely give you a huge advantage. Yeah, that's interesting. And and also, I just want to say, um, naming a perpetual old person is the best name ever. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like to do. Uh, there's a lot of hate on the internet about that, but I think it's a great name. I've, Warhammer is silly. Okay, you know what? The, this shouldn't be a hot take because it's 
designed to be silly. Yeah. Um, but Warhammer's silly. It's not meant to be super serious. It is satire. Yep. Oh yeah, it's it's the obvious, you know, on the nose, uh, heavy violent satire. But you're you're right. It's satire. It that it's to its core. So now I did while we've been talking uh, find that quote I was looking for. Um, so I'm just going to read that now. Um, so here we go. Over the millennia, he has worn many masks, each suitable to the task at hand. His mind, his greatest gift, allows him significant flexibility in such things. He has appeared as male or female or neither, as child or elder, peasant or king, magician or fool. He has been an entire cartomatic arcana, for the master of mankind is also a master of disguise. And that's a quote from the end and end of the death part one. There we go. The emperor confirmed trans. Yep. Well, uh, well tr- trans and neither and uh, you know everything. Well, non-binary is another trans umbrella, so that's oh, you know okay. that's All pretty right. you know we'll, yeah. we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or should we move on to our, our next next person? Absolutely. All right, this one was uh, came out of left field for me, and I thought it was really cool, so I had it included in the list. Actually, it got a few upvotes. Uh, this is King Narasan of Thailand, who lived from 1555 Common Era to 1605. And I went down a rabbit hole looking into this. Uh, this guy could probably do with a, with a podcast episode of his own. Uh, but he secured the independence of Thailand, uh, which at the time was called the Kingdom of Ayuta, from the Burmese Empire. Uh, now, the Burmese Empire controlled basically all of Southeast Asia at the time. And uh, so one of the things that Narasan did is he was a royal prisoner of the King of Burma for uh, early childhood and his early teen years. He was released in kind of a, a prisoner exchange where uh, his father sent his sister to the king of Burma to be one of uh, the concubines of the king. And that released Narasan back to uh, Thailand, or, or Ayata as it was called. And he swore oaths of loyalty to the king, as everybody did kind of back then. Uh, but the king of Burma did not trust Narasan, sent assassins to go kill him. And the assassins at the time, when they rather than kill Narosan, they instead told him of the plot. Narosan um, didn't want to have any of that, so he raised an army, convinced uh, other neighboring kingdoms to rebel against Burma, and then uh, basically fought a war against the king of Burma that culminated in. Um, the, the legend is it culminated in a one-on-one battle with Narusan versus the son of the king of Burma, um, dueling each other to death on elephants. Um, I couldn't find that, that that had actually happened. There was a battle, and the prince of Burma does die in the battle, but there's um, nothing there about a, you know an elephant duel, which I think would be awesome if that was true. Um, but he, uh, after he secured the independence of Thailand, um, he invaded some of the other neighboring kingdoms and uh, ruled for 15 years. Thailand was the largest kingdom it would ever be by the time he was done. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, Narasan in a nutshell. What do you think about that? You know what, there's a lot, a lot of things that um, both make me think it is and is not the emperor mm-hmm. um but also some of the things that are making me think that it might not be the emperor actually might be like that whole theory of like him playing with personas and personalities and trying to sort of see through what would happen like taking the role of, of more of the rebellious um like uh i guess uh, almost counter conqueror because yep. it you know it wasn't really necessarily like a freedom fighter situation it was really more of a you know uh an autark taking the reins back from you know removing that kind of client status exactly from from the kingdom um which is you know what 
kind of lines up with how some of the uh, the very very early history of like Terra being uh, unified kind of runs. Oh, so, like the like like the techno barbarian period. Yeah, like how the emperor kind of dealt with that because realistically, like you know, they didn't have the followers at that point to necessarily uh, employ the same tactics. Um, so yeah, you know what? This actually, like, the more I'm thinking about it, the more it might make sense as far as a um, almost like a practice period. Um, the dueling on uh, elephants seems logistically impossible, but yeah. also really cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, well, I think if they doubt were, it happened. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think if they were dueling on elephants, I don't think they're you know going at each other with lances or anything. But I think that there would probably be throwing spears or javelins at each other maybe maybe firing bows and arrows yeah i think that's a that that sounds like a propaganda piece right there yeah. but um <laughs> it's a cool thought yeah what, a, what that'd be an epic uh make for an epic miniature model wouldn't it be oh you could with uh, some of the lord of the Rings stuff you could definitely do that that'd be cool yeah um, now well here's another maybe interesting thing to chew on because thailand um is not so far from Tibet, where you know that's the future place of the palace of the emperor. Hmm. Maybe. I thought it was Nepal. I thought that's where it, it actually is. Um, well, I think. Um, well, it's the entire Tibetan plateau is where the palace of the emperor is. Uh, so okay, I thought... yeah, so they the the. Um, the Mechanicum, and, and prior to him getting the Mechanicum, they basically flatten the entire Tibetan plateau and, uh, and, okay. and use it as, the, as his palace. Um, yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of different, like, because uh, I, I do think of, like, you know, I know the Imperial Truth was sort of the 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 marching orders at the time of you know the heresy um but i definitely think the emperor played with a uh, with religion a lot more you know if we're looking at how to control societies and like how to steer um i think playing with like religion and spirituality was definitely a part of that so i can see there's a lot like of convergence of religious ideas in that space so yeah, yeah. i can see the emperor being very aware and stepping in. The other thing I can also think, um, realistically, like the Emperor can step into these roles as well. Like, you know, as a powerful psyker, realistically, the Emperor could kidnap these people, step into their lives for 10, 15, 20 years, and then, like, basically erase the members of being kidnapped to the, you know, the person and then kind of step back out of that role. Like, I, you know, I... Do I think the emperor like sat around as a baby? No, <laughs> but I can see them taking on these roles of like, okay, I'm going to spend the next 20 years trying to accomplish this. Can I do it? What do I learn? And just like methodically, like basically playing with humanity. Yeah. No, to, like, I can see that for sure. Absolutely. So like, this definitely sounds like, a, okay, how do I overthrow a tyrannical government with more resources, more power, um, what do I do? What levers do I pull? Yeah, hundred percent can see it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Here's because the Burmese Empire is, um, you know, at, this is the age of exploration. So Portugal, um, England, Spain, um, they're all trying to, you know, get control or keep control of the the Spice Islands, of which Thailand is is kind of part of that. And, uh, you know, according to the Europeans, there are three major powers in this area, and India's one, China's the other, and the Burmese Empire is the third one, that, that even the Europeans think we do not want to mess with them. And here is the emperor overthrowing them. Yeah, so I could definitely see that being a bit of a, like, um, you know, talking about, I know... Uh, like a Che Guevara-esque figure as well, kind of playing with those just, I guess, human mechanics of society and, and empire. I like it. I like it. Yeah. This is a good pick. Absolutely. All right. We haven't had, we haven't had a bad pick yet. Not yet. No. Um, how about uh, you want to do our, our next person? 
Sure. So we have um, I'm I'm Qin Shi Huang. And Is that uh, correct? I think I Chin Chin. I believe it. I, I Chin Chin Shi Huang. I I think you know I'm not speaking Chinese. Well, neither of us obviously aren't speaking Chinese. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. you know, we're going to do our best and everybody's going to forgive us, I think. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> um, so the, they ended the Warring States period in China, roughly 300-year-long uh, civil war. Uh, they were the first person to unify all of the lands we now think of as China. Uh, they've set many of the standards still in use today as ways to develop a singular cultural identity among dozens of different peoples and cultures. Uh, they abolished the feudal system a thousand years before Europe uh, set a single language currency, standardized weights and measures, standardized road and cart sizes for goods to travel from one end to the other, and built new canals, roadways to facilitate trade and communication, conquered all of China in just 11 years, and survived three separate assassination attempts while doing it, including his own mother's attempt. Yeah, that's somebody. That sounds very, uh, uh, you know what, the the we we take it for granted now um but having standardized weights measurements uh roads all of that you know like the romans did it in europe mm -hmm. uh, and that's what's kind of uh, carried on into north america uh that's a huge deal it is i it's i think um you know alexander the great conquered a, a whole lot of land but he didn't do any actual empire building this i think is uh, an actual attempt at empire building and, and a good one because well it's lasted till today <laughs> yeah like you know if you think about you know knowing as a merchant that your cart will fit down every road you need to go down and it will fit through every mm -hmm. village you travel through every city you travel through like those are huge deals that simplify trade in a time that allows you to conquer inland states like logistically managing coastal areas is not that complicated because yeah. ships do a lot of the heavy lifting, but inland areas are where things get really complicated. Yeah. Especially um, when you've got, uh, there's quite a few mountains that split up China and you, I, yeah. I can just imagine, you know, being a, a Chinese merchant, you got your one cart and your, your, you may be your first time going, going through on this trip and you get halfway through the mountains and all of a sudden the road is half the size it was, you know, a little while ago. And, you know, you got three tons of copper or something. <laughs> and, well, if you think about a caravan, yeah. like, you know, oh if your God, cart doesn't fit down the yeah. road and you get left behind, yeah. you're very likely dead. Yep. So, like, you know, we're talking about simplification, but then also proliferation of trade, mm -hmm. um, you know, which increases quality of life. Like, those are the things that allow nations to, you know, surpass the, their creators effectively is people feeling like being together is better than being apart um which is really like uh you know what it's not necessarily reminding me of like uh 30k but um like the sort of the dark age of technology like the the post um iron men rebellion um eight golden age of humanity yeah like it's reminding me a lot of that which i would imagine you know, again, it's not necessarily specified, but the emperor probably had a hand in ushering that in. Yeah, I feel like um, that would be an an interesting part part to write about. But I would really love to hear like pre unification, um, not even necessarily the emperor of mankind, but other people in that world just mm. do it because that's the world of of kingdoms and and little it's, it's like ancient uh history to us you know little kingdoms warring each other and and uh, things like that um i'd like to see uh, novels and that but this reminds me like you said of actual empire building efforts here well and the only thing that gives me somewhat pause here is uh, abolishing the feudal system because the emperor has shown that um, feudal structures are favored, um, you know, even in 30k, like petty fiefdoms and planetary governors, and you know, it's a very like Roman style feudal system. Mm -hmm. Um, but the emperor doesn't like to get you know his hands dirty with like the day to day governing, 
typically. Yeah. Um, which is where you kind of see um, more of that like feudal style um, oligarchies that are still held to like an iron will. Like the emperor exerts a lot of uh, pressure on those oligarchs to like do what he wants them to do. But as far as like day to day, like governing, like, you know, he's like doing his golden throne thing or he's like going and killing a bunch of orcs. Like he's not like sitting there worrying about like, how are the freighters going to like arrive at Terra? Like that's not his jam. So that's something that's giving me a little bit of pause of like, I don't think he is actually that guy. Well, I I feel like in, in 30 K the world, well, even, you know, Pre, pre-heresy 30k, you know, we're talking about the unification, or uh, not necessarily the unification, but the, the, Great, Crusade. the Great Crusade. And I, I feel like there's two two types of imperial government. There's the government that immediately surrounds the emperor of mankind. There, there's his military people, but there's still the high lords of Terra. Um, mm-hmm. And they do run uh, democracy. Uh, however uh, shadowy it is it's it's there in the background and it's a i feel like the government that kind of immediately surrounds the emperor that is a meritocracy however once the crusade started going out there and like you said running into other worlds of humanity and they're running imperial or not well imperial systems or feudal systems and dismantling that, that's a multi-generational um, society changing effort. And to do that on a global scale, I think that would be really difficult. I think the Emperor's just okay with, okay, you do your own thing at the planetary level, but as long as you're interacting with the greater thing that moves goods and ties and everything around the Imperium that operates under my meritocracy. That's that's what I, I in my head. That's how I think it works. But maybe it doesn't. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a meritocracy. Like I think, um, like Malkador is, I think, very much involved in that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like when he's alive, and um, yeah, I really don't think. It's necessarily a meritocracy. I think it's a lot of compromises. Like if you look at the Mechanicum, the Mechanicum, you know, unification is full of compromises. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine like the High Lords of Terra also, you know, they control a tremendous amount of wealth. They control a tremendous amount of power themselves. Um, they have their own alliances. They have their own political operatives. Um, I highly doubt it's like a straight um, meritocracy. Now, maybe how he tried to envision like the primarchs yeah you know he but that's more of a like negligent father meritocracy (laughs) where he's just like i like you based on how effective you are at doing my will yeah um so i don't know how great that that also works um so yeah i don't know i uh yeah the the i think that the emperor is somewhat like you know uncompromising as far as like the overall vision but as far as like details yeah i can't i can't see him being a guy like mapping out uh road plans and like making sure that the roads get built right like it's just like he's not that i don't think he's that guy he's got his malkador to do that for exactly and like maybe this is also how like you know um this guy uh also functioned but i just think like this maybe was like I can see the Emperor maybe being involved in, like, the shadows supporting this person, but actually being the person, I don't know. It seems a little too, like, organized and just, like, boring, honestly. (laughs) There was a lot of, uh, you don't find standardized weights and measures sexy. Yeah, like, it's like, I don't, I, I, like, you know, and we know that the Emperor's a scientist, but again, like, I don't know. I just, I can't see him, like... You, like, do you think the Emperor's just sitting there, like, going through, like, council meetings of just, like, I think we need to base it off of, uh, you know, one cubic inch of lead is the base of our... Wi- no, I, he's not doing that. He's, like, he's already, he's, like, woken up the guy and, like, given him the memories he needs, and then, like, he's off to his next project. Okay. All right. I like that. He might have done the war and the unification part, yeah. and he's just like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> this is the fun part. You, you can take right. over now. Yeah, he's like, I've gotten out of this when I want to get out of this. 
Alrighty, shall we move on to our next one? This is one you were Ooh, excited about. I am very excited about this guy. Tell tell us about our next one. Ah, <gasps> uh, Otto von Bismarck, the Bizstash himself, <laughs> um, lived in a period of extreme turmoil and war in all of Europe and the Middle East, only like half of which he caused. <laughs> um, Catherine the Great, Napoleon the First, through Napoleon the Third, the U.S. Civil War, French Revolutions, just many of them um greek war of independence garibaldi's unification of italy and more also came um was born sort of the end of uh the german um like religious wars that had plagued germany for like the last oh the years. the pro- pro- protestant catholic uh, stuff conflicts yeah. of yeah the, the what martin luther started yeah. um <laughs> Uh, had a vision of a peaceful Europe not racked by wars and helped to forge multiple alliances uh, between great powers. What Was it called the Great Entente? Was Triple Entente. Triple Entente. Uh, in an attempt to defer any one expansionist government from threatening the balance in Europe. I like how it's any one expansionist government because they were all expansionist. <laughs> it was just... Didn't don't want to get one a leg up. Yeah. Um, this could be a primordial precursor to the idea of the League of Nations and United Nations in the future. I would disagree with that part. Okay. Because Bismarck would, did not had necessarily have a vision of like peaceful cooperation. It was more like it was a very pragmatic view of like um, almost like mutually assured destruction. Yeah. <laughs> and that. And that. That's exactly what, almost exactly what happened in in World War One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can. Uh, so Otto von Bismarck, I can see. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, before I, because I feel like I'm gonna have a lot to say about this one. What are, What are your thoughts? I I like it. It's it's another in my mind. This is a you know if we're imagining the emperor inhabiting different people at different times and trying different things. I think. Um, I like it for this because this is um, a new way to try to build an empire and and can we you know unify people through politics and peace now he, he obviously he did do quite a bit of war you know blood and iron and all that sort of stuff yeah I was about to say uh, yeah. the French might disagree yeah. with you on him being peaceful yes yeah they're <laughs> But, you know, in his mind, he, and, you know, as with everything, it's not black and white, but in his mind, he wanted to unify all the kind of Germanic-speaking people under one government. And once he got that, even though the French didn't necessarily agree with it, he was done. Uh, Well, you know what, though? It wasn't uh, Germanic-speaking people, because he specifically excluded Austria because he wanted it to be a Prussian-led um really yeah oh, so that's, that's why austria yeah he he specifically uh, maneuvered to keep austria out of what was germany austria was interested um and it would have created one unified german-speaking um country uh but he wanted it to be prussian led um what was it the uh, it wasn't the king of Germany. It was the king in Prussia was the, um, I think during some of the periods of unification, cause it happened piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at one point they, the, what was it Wilhelm? Can't remember which Wilhelm, um, was the king in Prussia was the compromise. So they were, he was the king of Germany, but he, yeah, he, the princes at the time didn't like that title. So he was effectively like the highest ranking noble. Um, but it was a very like Prussia centric view that uh, Bismarck held. And I think actually going back to the conversation we were just having previously, that like oligarchical feudal type system, this is where I actually think like Bismarck very much like encapsulates a lot of what the emperor does. Cause Bismarck is just kind of a, like a puppet master. Yeah. And, he doesn't really get involved in a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Yeah, and and the system that he builds, um, it, it's part um, democracy and then part absolute autocratic power, because um, the the king uh, of of Germany, 
he's the even though there's a you know a Reichstag and there's elected people, but you know those elected people are still the the, the younger class, which Bismarck is part of. Um, mm. The king still has the absolute authority to declare wars and declare peace, and the Reichstag and uh, it the Bundestag, I think the, the the two levels of government there. Mm. There's nothing they can do about it. Uh, the military answers to the king. And uh, so he, the, the, the government that's built is, is like um, uh, a, almost a fake democracy because the king still has all the power. And um, even though obviously the, the nobles, uh, you know, Otto von Bismarck, they, they actually have all the power because the king really can't do anything without all their say so. But on paper, the king kind of still has absolute authority, doesn't he? Yeah, and that's where I think um, Bismarck is very much like, uh, well, if we talk about, like, you know, the Emperor versus Malkador, mm -hmm. um, this is where, like, the Emperor is acting as sort of his own Malkador, um, but then using the the figurehead, because, um, yeah, the, the, the German king at this point, um, Bismarck is kind of just, like, running. So it's almost like he knew he couldn't invest absolute power in the Chancellor's seat, mm -hmm which is where Bismarck positions himself. So he almost uses the the uh, the king as his scapegoat yeah. and his sort of like uh, expediency where it's like, okay, he has enough power to do the things that he needs to do quickly. And then like the democracy doesn't get in the way of what Bismarck's actually trying to do. Yeah. So you like him as, as the, the puppet master in the background um, pulling the strings of his puppet king who has all the... Well, who has all the power on paper, but Bismarck has all the influence on the king and still gets everything that he wants done. And if people don't like it, well, they blame the king. Well, if you think about like playing a game of civilization on like the hardest difficulty, like I think this is maybe like a um, the emperor set a challenge for himself of like, hey, can I run an empire and like completely change a political landscape in the confines of not being the most powerful guy in the room? And also playing with the most, like, fractitious and not technically most powerful empire. Can I, like, cause a bunch of more powerful people around me? Can I just, like, beguile them into doing what I want? Like, I have a feeling it's almost like a, it's like a speedrun challenge of, like, <laughs> how fast can I bring, uh, you know, uh, what is it, 100% peace in Europe yeah. uh, in 30 years? It, like, can is, I pull it off? He's try, trying to uh, win the game of civilization through peace. But then also just, like, declares a bunch of surprise wars. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think it's definitely, like, it's like a challenge mode, like, political intrigue story. And I can 100% see the Emperor just being, like, you know, he woke up in, like, 1803 and he's just like, you know what, I haven't tried. I haven't tried a ridiculously hard, like, political conspiracy <laughs> in a while. Um let me let me start pondering this and he's just like looking around and he's just like oh germany's kind of starting to like solidify a bit europe's getting a little like you know uppity like let's see if i can calm this down and then just like cause the worst war ever because of it so <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of got a lot of like the emperor playing with humanity and like but also coming into that kind of like survival of the species like you know you both need to avoid, like, you need to avert total war, but then you also need to, like, you know, in that type of mindset, you also want to push humanity forward, um, which is often, like, through a very violent lens. So, yeah, I can see Bismarck kind of doing both, because then you also, like, Bismarck's also very much responsible for the First World War. Um, like, everything he sets up just ends up going sideways within, like, 20 years of his death. So... So, yeah. So do you like you? Sounds like you like um, Bismarck for being Emperor of Mankind. Is that is that one of your? I oh a hundred percent. No, I think uh, definitely. But it's like it's the Emperor of Mankind like playing. <laughs> it's like the Emperor of Mankind is like he's he's got his own agenda. He's playing six dimensional chess, and like you don't know what he's up to. He doesn't even know what he's up to, and he's just trying to say like, what can I do? He's just trying to push the limits. Yeah. All right. So for our, our, I like it. I think it's great. And uh, there's nothing I could say that would top what, what you just talked about. It was a tour, tour de force on business. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So for our, our next one 
And I, I had to sub in somebody because there was uh, a lot of votes for St. George. And we know St. George was actually in the lore somebody who the Emperor mm. was. So what I did was pick somebody who was of roughly that same time period. And, you know, I think there's about a, a hundred year difference between them. But it was also roughly, a, you know, a Roman military type saint. Um, so what we settled on was St. Patrick. And I also picked St. Patrick because, uh, personally, I, I think he does a lot of potentially emperor type stuff. So we'll talk a little bit about Patrick here. He grew up in post-Roman Britain, um, spent most of his life either as a slave in Ireland or, or converting the Irish to Christianity. When he was an early teen, he was captured into an, in an Irish raid, um, and he was forced into slavery. He escaped. On his way back to England, he was captured again by more pirates and forced into slavery again, and then he escaped again. And when he got back to England, he had a vision at some point to go back to Ireland and convert all the heathens to Christianity. Um, now, why I like him as emperor is he fights off no less than two demons, one demon on a mountaintop and one hiring in a, a hiding in a cellar in an Irish inn. Um, Irish uh, warriors who raise arms against him are struck down with illness. He creates herds of animals out of thin air. He raises people from the dead. Um, and, you know, he's obviously sainted by the Catholic Church, and roughly 80% of Ireland is still Roman Catholic today. Um, what, what do you think about that? I don't know, it's any more like he's like Nurgle than uh, the Emperor. Um, the, you know, all of your enemies being struck down by plague, that's feeling very... Well, not, sure. not necessarily. So he wasn't a great unclean one? Well, could you imagine, you know, if you're describing it as... Um, you know, somebody who's never seen it before and you're, you know, a third party person just standing there and the local Irish Lord's like, I don't know who this guy is trying to convert people to Christianity, um, but we're going to go put an end to him. And he, he sends a bunch of guys over and they pull out their swords and the emperor just kind of waves his hands and then they all just kind of fall over, you know, that that might to, to, and that might just be psychic power, just, yeah. You know, you know, how would you describe that as, you know, a, a person who's never seen psychic power before, uh, that they just fall over and then a little while later they just get up and go back about their day? You know, a third party person might say they were struck ill. Actually, you know what? Uh, I, I'm, I'm rectifying my point. I think it might still be a Nurgle thing. Mm -hmm. um, but Nurgle isn't sentient by this point. Nurgle doesn't become sentient for another like 700 years. Yeah. So this could actually be like the emperor playing with like plague psychic energy. Okay. Now, um, the demon he defeats on the mountaintop, uh, he was up there for 40 days without food and water, and he defeated a demonic snake woman who was tormenting him. That kind of sounds a little slanishy there. Blushing Noise Marine. I think, see, the problem with that is uh, Slanesh is 25,000 years from creation. Um, yeah, there's no Chaos Gods at this point. Now, one of the things that I thought was, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I always thought, you know, it, because the warp um, is this weird place where time doesn't exist, that you're right, they, they don't exist yet, and yet um, as soon as they exist... They will have always existed in the warp because time doesn't mean anything. Yeah, so they they're they're technically present, but they're um, like benign forces at that point. So like um, like Nurgle at that point, like they say um, like they become sentient. So it's not that they didn't exist, but they weren't thinking at that point. Um, so like yeah, Slanesh is the the chaos god of like love and pain and pleasure. Um, so like those emotions exist in the warp. Um, but even like, I, I'm pretty sure before sentience, like the demons themselves are also not as, um, they're not as driven because they don't have anything like controlling them. Mm 
Um, so that's the only thing that's like, you know, I mean, this could also like, it, it also does play into the, like the, the emperor playing with, um, religion. Um, but I also, maybe that was the, the emperor just made two demons because the emperor can also make demons. Um, and then just fought them himself. I don't know. Now we also, um, in, uh, I think it was either echoes of eternity or the end of death part one, when we're talking about Olania's person and he's going through his memories when he's talking about his time um oh no it wasn't the end of the death it was when he was in um he was on earth but in a noise marine slanish uh a possessed hive city he was seeing demons there that were um like kind of like sirens or mythological sirens and he has a little PTSD flashback to being uh, with Jason and the Argonauts, and he remembers, um, you know, the mission in the Argonauts where they fought, they uh, go through the Cyclades Islands, and the sirens are sc- screaming to uh, um, have them crash on shore. So hmm. demons existed, even, um, even, uh, you know, at the that would have been about twenty five hundred. BCE would have been roughly around the time. Of no, Jason you know, I know they, they exist. I just, I more so meant they, um, they don't necessarily have like directive or like force to behind them. Yeah. So there's no patron um, God Slanish or Nurgle, but there are. Yeah. So yeah. Demons are just kind of like off doing their own thing. They're, they're like NPCs basically at that point. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I mean, I can see it. Do I see it as strongly as some of the other ones? Yeah. You don't, maybe not. You don't like it? I don't know if I don't like it. I just I don't see the intention okay. behind it. It's like a little too small potatoes for the emperor. Okay. No, well, all the puns intended. <laughs> Alrighty. So uh, tell us about our next one. Oh, Nikola Tesla. Which you know what I, you can you can almost tell it's a this came from a Reddit poll. Yeah. Tesla's got to appear. <laughs> um, Inventor, scientist, contemporary of Thomas Edison. Well, uh, uh, contemporary is maybe a strong word. Uh, Einstein and Marconi. He was also famously contemptuous of all of them, competing with Edison and Marconi over electrical and wireless technology standards, and refuted Einstein's theory of relativity, developed theoretical superweapons that worked on on the principles of vibrations, air pressure, uh, and magnetic and electrical fields. Um I mean, the other trouble with this one is it overlaps with uh, with Bismarck. Um, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, and I, I think, like, Bismarck is definitely closer. Uh, Tesla definitely fits the, like, crazy scientist parts of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, I can more so see, like, Nikola Tesla hanging out with the Emperor. Yeah. Not necessarily being the Emperor. Like, like does do, like, Nikola Tesla and the Emperor sometimes, like, drink till four o'clock in the morning and the emperor like tells him about some like crazy esoteric knowledge he has from being you know thousands of years old yeah sure um as far as like be like living that life it seems a little less likely uh i agree i i this is the probably one of the picks that i i least like to be the emperor of mankind only because um he didn't really do a whole lot not from my perspective. Um, I mean, he invented a bunch of stuff, but you know, how many people, you know, does the Tesla coil do anything? <laughs> I mean, the whole like uh, like alternating current becoming the standard over uh, uh, Edison was a big believer in like direct current, yeah. which is far less efficient. Like Tesla does have like accomplishments; they're just kind of fairly minor in the grand scheme of things yeah. compared to like like. Einstein, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean. Like, do I see Tesla in like his like crappy apartment hanging out with the Emperor? Absolutely. Like, I'm sure they're like good buddies. He's, but he's being they're sitting. They, no. they they chill out in an opium den and yeah, yeah. like you know, like when the Emperor needs to like take off the edge and he just wants to go hear some like crazy theories. He's like, all right, let's go talk science with my like. You know, my pal uh, Nikola Tesla. Yeah. And then Tesla comes out of that being like, wow, I feel like so invigorated. You know, because I'm assuming the presence of the Emperor is probably like 
a lot to handle. And then he's just like, I'm going to build a doomsday device. Like, again, like that story makes sense to me. Like the emperor being like, oh, this is a critical like moment in human history. I'm going to take on this like destitute scientist life. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The, and, and, you know, doing my research on Nikola Tesla, I, I was trying to find something we could find for a 40k connection. And the, the only closest I could come to it was these kind of theoretical super weapons that, that Tesla, uh, you know, always talked about, but could never produce. But I thought he did build one of them. He, he built an earthquake generator. Yes. Did he? Yeah. And I think he got it working and it was like, I think it tore down an apartment building or something. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I think he did actually get something to somewhat work. Okay. I'll have Um, to look that one up. Yeah. I, I remember a story of like, he had to chop it in half with an ax or something. Um, that's coming to mind. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a story I've heard. Okay. Alrighty. So we're getting into our top three now. And um, we, we are might going to break this up into two episodes. So uh, through the magic of editing, we're, we're going to have a second episode here potentially. Um, otherwise, um, if, if we're all right, we might just do it all as one episode and you know, we'll find it all. I'll, I'll do magical editing and it'll either be one episode or not. Uh, but if it is, we're, we're having an episode break right here. 